The following podcast is made in partnership with Zinc VC. Six years on from the Paris Agreement, governments, regulators, investors and customers are increasingly demanding that business play its full part in global efforts to tackle climate change. Companies are responding with a wave of public commitments to ongoing emissions reductions. Setting ambitious targets is one thing, delivering against them is another. Consumer goods companies contribute a huge amount of carbon emissions in the making and distribution of the products we consume every day. In fact, 60% of global emissions come from consumer use. To address this, companies need to know the full carbon footprint of their company or products in order to make the best sustainability choices and build consumer confidence in their brand. Today's guests are making this a reality. Today I'm joined by Julia Collins, founder of Planet Ford, and Kyleen Akins Irby, who is head of growth at the same organization. Planet Ford is on a mission to tackle climate change by decarbonizing the consumer goods space. It recently secured a cash infusion in the way of 10 million Series A dollars to continue developing technology so that the 1.5 trillion consumer goods industry can more accurately measure and reduce their carbon footprint. Julia knows a thing or two about climate-friendly food and has always been involved in the plant-based and composting movements. She describes her life purpose as bringing delicious food to people in a way that helps heal the planet for everyone, including her son. Kyleen frequently lends her voice as a thought leader in climate tech and holds various high-profile advisory positions. During the pandemic, she built an online community of over 25,000 investors, founders and individuals focused on climate tech on Clubhouse. The success of the club was largely due to her focus on equity, inclusivity and solutions, wanting everyone who left her club to feel empowered and inspired to find their role in tackling the climate crisis. Welcome, both of you. Thank, Thank you so you. much for having us. That felt like a very long introduction. This is the first time that we've had two guests on at the same time, but I'm really excited <laughs> to hear from both of you. And you're both so independently doing amazing work. It's just so inspiring to see so many badass females leading the climate revolution. So thank you so much <laughs> for joining us today. You don't hear badass climate warriors enough, I think. Um, before we kind of dig into the work you're doing, which is just so fascinating, we have a sort of particular interest at Warrior Women to kind of dig into the women behind the work. So it'd be brilliant if you could both just talk a little bit about not just Planet Four, but I suppose your personal experiences and what's driven you to work in this space. Julia, maybe you want to go first. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, I mean, first of all, so excited to be here, Carla. And Kylan and I spend a lot of time together, but we don't often get to do a podcast together. So this is quite fun for us as well. Um, yeah, I mean, what can I say? My connection to food really, really begins with my grandparents. Um, you know, there's a longer ancestral legacy there, but the way that I identify my connection to food really is through my grandparents and their migration from the deep south of the United States to the Bay Area during a time called the Great Migration when millions of black people moved from the south to the north to take advantage of new economic opportunities. 
Um, and as my grandparents migrated and, and built their family and built their community, they really had this ethos, Carla, that our door was always open, this table was always set, and there was always something on the stove. And my parents had the same ethos, and I have the same ethos now in my life, because I really believe that the best moments between human beings happen when we're sharing food together. Food is like a medium for connection and joy and safety and the sharing of traditions and ideas. And I think the table is actually a place where you can solve some of the biggest issues facing humanity today. So it's really a deep connection that I have, and it comes from my ancestral legacy. And how did the birth of your son kind of impact that work as well? Because you talk a, bit, a lot about that when you're talking about everything you're doing. Yeah, you know, I'll say as as an, an, a newly minted warrior woman, I feel like I can be really <laughs> honest with this community, but yeah. um, I, am, I am not someone who thought being a parent was in the cards for me. Mm-hmm. You know, for one reason or another, I just did not believe that that was going to be my path. And so... You know, when I met my partner and became pregnant at age 39, it was really quite a paradigm shift for me. And mm-hmm. I had sort of had my whole life planned out as a, as a single person, you know, who was an aunt to many children or a friend. But so it was really a paradigm shift. And there was something about that paradigm shift that caused me to just rethink everything in my life. And I told you that food is central to like my experience of being a human So in the context of this big change, of course, I had to rethink my relationship to food, right? And in the past, food was like safety, joy, pleasure, connection. But when they learned that such a huge amount of the climate crisis, I mean, by some measures, as much as 34% of global greenhouse gas emissions were coming from food, I thought, okay, this this is something worth solving for me, for the other people around me, and especially for my son. Um, So it was really linking my passion for food with my desire to change and change in a way that was going to protect this little tiny human um, that was really the catalyst for this work. Um, And again, just before we we hear from your amazing partner in crime on this podcast, I just want you to just (laughs) kind of fast fast, uh, wrap through some of the amazing things you've done, because the bigger this podcast (laughs) gets, in all honesty, the harder it is to introduce people, because you could spend the whole hour talking about the advisory position the past jobs, but um, maybe you can just tell us yeah. like three major things you've launched or done pre-Planet Ford that kind of make you a food warrior. Totally. And I'm learning to brag about myself. So here we go. So, yes, you know, brag I away. Am the... <laughs> yeah. um, I'm the first black woman, the first black woman to have co-founded what we call a unicorn tech company. So yes, tech you company are. Valued it. I, I used to not share that, but I've learned over the years that it's important to share your wins, right? Because you can, anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> another big one, you know, when during my years working in New York City in restaurants, um, I was part of the, the management team that won Best New Restaurant in America for this amazing Afro-Asian fusion restaurant led by J.J. Jackson and Alexander Smalls and Dick Parsons in Harlem. So really to be a part of that winning team. It's not easy to win Best New Restaurant in America. Sorry, did you just say um, Best think... Restaurant in America? In America? Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, and your third one? Um, my third one is a personal accomplishment. Speaking about sitting down and standing up, I have developed a really strong weightlifting practice mm-hmm. um, and recently hit a record that I can back squat 
250 pounds, which is, if you ever met me, is quite a lot in comparison <laughs> to my size. So, yeah, feeling really physically strong as a win that I want to She's a true warrior. After a and, long and, journey. A, a yeah. physical <laughs> warrior and a food warrior as well. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And Kylin, we'd love to hear as well about your background. You're prolific on social media and it's been really great to kind of <laughs> follow you and, and find out more about you. So it's great to meet you virtually, but kind of feels like, you know, as personal as you can get on, on a Zoom call because it's publicly shared afterwards. But yeah, please tell us about what's driven you to this work. And we're going to hit you as well with your top three big wins as well. I love it. And it's it's so good to be here. I feel like we're in in the trailer in the field with you. So yes, thanks behind for, me. for having us. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So this work is also extremely personal to me. I think, you know, building on on things that Julia shared, I would consider myself really a climate warrior or, or an impact warrior and, and really always have been. And that comes down to a lot of my childhood as well. I grew up really in a, in a low-income family. We uh, were in and out of different houses and even homeless at certain times. And I was one of the very few people um, in the U.S. to be so blessed to have access to nature. I grew up in California in, in the mountains and in the ocean. And that really became my home and my sense of joy and, um, you know, my recreation and so I always had a deep connection to to nature as in a spiritual way, in a personal way, and in the in the way that it created a safe space for me. And I remember having a true anxiety attack uh, back in like 2015 after watching Racing Extinction, which if anyone hasn't seen it, they do recommend it. But it is basically, you know, about climate change and how how quickly we're losing all of the beautiful life that's around us. And I was struck and I stayed up all night long crying upset not knowing what to do but made a promise to myself that at that time that I would do everything in my power uh, to work on solving the environmental crisis it's like that's that's really my only response I can either sit here in despair and be uncomfortable and, and and terrified or I can do something about it and so I actually started out my work in climate in in conservation work I, I did a lot of research and worked on coral reef conservation and people used to tease me almost they're like, why do you why do you care so much? Why are you focused on saving these reefs? Don't you think they're they're too far gone? And to me, they were, you know, the most perfect example of how dire the situation is in the sense that, yes, we're losing them extremely quickly, but also how incredibly beautiful and magical everything out there is that's worth saving. And so I mm -hmm. often say, you know, one of my just greatest superpowers and, and probably what makes me a warrior and something that Julia absolutely shares in and I'm so grateful to work with her every day because of this um, is just having a sense of almost illogical optimism you know if you enter into this work with an understanding of the odds and understanding of the probabilities it's it's discouraging 100% you know that it doesn't actually make sense to wake up every day and keep trying to solve climate change <laughs> but we have to be almost illogically optimistic and stay positive and stay motivated and keep working on it and so I think that that's always been inherent to me um, and I try to bring that forward every day but it all comes back to me kind of doing it for the little girl that you know swam in the ocean and, and, and felt like that was her home. It's interesting you know like we've done this is our 11th podcast now and you start to see themes in some of the guests and there's this definite storytelling of people talking about their childhood and connecting to kind of how magical nature was and it does feel like 
the older we get, the more disassociated we get with that, those kind of like childhood feelings and that, the magicalness um, and connecting back into that, whether it's through being a mother yourself or whether or not it's just kind of like that childlike wonder, you know, of just being like, I want to save these things because they're just overwhelmingly beautiful. And mm-hmm. I feel propelled to it. It's really interesting because I think in the business context, which a lot of us are running now, impact driven businesses. This is kind of a new wave of business, that connectivity and that like saving things and connected to things is very different to that kind of profit driven, although, you know, a lot of businesses need both of those. So I find that really, really interesting. And again, Mm -hmm. looking at your LinkedIn profile, I got to spend half an hour being like, there's no way I can summarize all of this. So (laughs) um, your brief is not to say you're bragging and to say as proudly as you can, the three things that you are, you've knocked out the park and that you're really, really proud of. Yeah, um, many things, but I think I think one thing that I'm super there's many things. There one thing that I'm super super proud of was was a, a while ago um, I started a nonprofit in in East Africa in Tanzania that was focused on electrification of rural villages in uh, Zanzibar using solar electricity, and that's one of my favorite moments in life just because I was so close to the work. I was I was on the ground. I was with the people, and you know getting to see the impact that being able to electrify a village would have on you know all of the future generations to come out of that from being able to study and being able to provide for their families all of these things that was something I was I was super super proud of and I and I did it all by myself and kind of from the ground up when I was when I was a lot younger so I'm super proud of that and that still stands um, I ultimately ended up going into private equity which is on the complete opposite side of the world all of a sudden you know in high rises in New York City but I was the youngest person on our leadership team and, and the only uh, woman of color and uh, I was building the ESG strategies for some of the largest PE funds across the U.S. and Europe from Vista Equity Partners to Hellman and Friedman to Insight Partners um, at age, you know, 23. And that was really something that I was extremely proud of because of the scaled impact that it was creating. I knew that, you know, if I can convince one or two people <laughs> in, in a partner office to do something differently and, and be more socially responsible in the money uh, that they steward, that it was going to impact thousands of jobs and hundreds of millions of dollars mm-hmm. worth of impact globally. And so I was extremely proud of that. Mm-hmm. And I'd say my third accomplishment, which you wouldn't you wouldn't see on my LinkedIn profile, you wouldn't see oh, much. It's exclusive. About. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, I am just so I mean, if you were to read through my my personal goals uh, for the last few years, one, my number one thing at the top of my list is just making sure that my sister is successful and that she um, is able to live a life of, of freedom, whether that be financially, emotionally, all of the things. And so my sister recently graduated from college and now has a wonderful role also working in the PE advisory space. And that to me is one of my greatest accomplishments because she's really my my first love and my and my greatest love. So any role I had in that is is the biggest role I've I've ever had so oh wow that's so Mm. sweet and lovely and I guess like listening to everything you said it's let's kind of dig deep more I suppose into into the work that you're doing now so I'd love for you to share more about I'd love you to share more about the the kind of decarbonization space particularly which is very very large um, and very very important but what is the problem or problems that Planet Ford are trying to solve related to the consumer goods sector specifically? So I'll, we can just kind of 
tag team this one, Kylan, but you know, it's not a surprise to anyone that we're living in the midst of a global climate crisis that's accelerating. What is often surprising to most people is to learn that by some measures, more than a third of global emissions come from land use and food systems. When we think about decarbonization, it means you know rapidly um, creating conditions where all of our industries are less carbon intensive, right? They emit less greenhouse gases. But the problem that Kyle and I saw as we thought about designing a solution and bringing it to market is that most decarbonization efforts prior to now have focused on industries like manufacturing or transportation or energy. And of course we need to do that work. There is no silver bullet solution to solving the climate crisis. But when as much of a third of the problem is coming from food systems and land use, then that certainly is a good place to direct our efforts. So that was really the opportunity that we saw. And I'd love for Kylan to share a bit more about how we're doing this with companies and our focus on supply chains. 100%. So I think, you know, building on what Julia said, the consumer space is also super unique for a number of reasons. Um, the first is the specific needs of the space. Their supply chains are extremely complex. There's suppliers globally, uh, access to those suppliers, being able to get information from those suppliers is all quite difficult. And for a consumer company, you know, up to 95% of their total footprint is going to be in the supply chain. So it's a very unique problem that they face in a very unique problem that we set out to solve. I'd say the other piece that's really um, awesome about the space is also their ability to influence culture and consumer preferences and build greater awareness for this work and for the importance of it. And so focusing on consumer companies for us meant not only solving the barriers that they currently have to decarbonization, but also being able to amplify the work and the outcomes of what they're doing to be able to create market conditions that actually reward uh, that work and make it not only, you know, something that should be done in alignment with the Paris Agreement, but should be done because it's good for business. And it's what people ultimately are looking to make happen to increase their sales and and to see um, their companies thrive. So, we uh, luckily had the had the good fortune of meeting a man named Kumar Venkat and uh, acquiring his company that he had built over the last 15 years, which brought on board um, an incredible wealth of data and an incredible wealth of uh, solutions that we're able to now leverage to be able to calculate the carbon footprints of consumer companies at both the company level and the product level extremely quickly. So we actually have the largest life cycle assessment database for agricultural production systems in North America, meaning we have the individual data points for all of these pieces that consumer companies need to construct a carbon footprint that's extremely accurate to their exact products and their exact uh, supply chain. So you can come in as a consumer brand or a food service company or a fashion company or a beauty company to Planet Forward. You can tell us about what your company looks like today, what your supply chain looks like to whatever level of detail you have. And we'll come back and be able to calculate your footprint across scope one, two and three and tell you with great granularity, you know, where is your emissions coming from across the agricultural practices, across the energy types in your processing steps, across your packaging materials, all the things that are needed for you to be able to take actionable action to actually reduce 
And then we also will do things like carbon labeling your products or uh, certifying them as carbon neutral so that when you are you know, on shelves in different retailers or online or whatever it be, your consumers know that you're putting in the work to, to, to make this happen and to reduce your footprint. So you see the upside of that as well. So we really try to be, you know, end to end where not only are we solving the pain points and making it easier to decarbonize and to reduce emissions, but also create the case for why more and more companies should do this every day. So if anyone who's listening, and I kind of always try and make it inclusive by like saying, when we say consumer goods, we're talking about like the soups and the crisps and the, like all of the stuff that you're finding like <laughs> in your supermarkets, right? Because, you know, I used to work in FMCG and for ages I was like, oh, who do I say? Sorry, what's FMCG? Which is like fast moving <laughs> consumer goods. So basically anything you're getting from your supermarkets, like which is what we call them in the UK, like that's, you know, those are c- consumer goods. But I imagine like, I've seen your website, you're working with everybody. And what's that experience when you meet a brand leader for the first time? Let's say it's like head of like Cheetos or whatever, like Frito-Lay or whatever the company, Frito-Lay is at the company. I don't even know. If they, they're probably like <laughs> yes. acquired by 15 yeah. different brands now. I was trying to like Americanize my case study there. It's the best <laughs> I could. Like, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Like they must just be like, wow I can't believe this exists like you must I mean you're head of growth are you just getting like emails every day from every company in America just being like we need to do this like what must that be like as a head of growth like is it like a lot of new business just coming because I just no one's going to meet you and say oh we're all right actually what's it I mean, <laughs> um, or do you yeah. still or, or do you still have that challenge actually where you are still trying to get people to kind of come over the line or is it just a no-brainer for everyone that you meet I would say that we meet companies uh, at all stages of okay. their climate journey, whether that be them starting out for the first time and not knowing what you know a greenhouse gas inventory is. And we're really talking through, okay, this is scope one, this is scope two, this is scope three, right. versus some of the largest uh, companies in the world that have been working against their net zero targets for the last 10 years and have teams of in-house climate scientists and are leaders and, and creating the most innovative approaches to how to tackle supply chain. So we we meet people across all levels of both mm-hmm. understanding action and eagerness uh, to keep pushing forward. I will say I'm super grateful because the more and more we get our name out into the world and the more and more people are aware of what Planet Forward has to offer, the more and more we're getting people coming in to us and and asking to work together and and bringing us their needs, bringing us their thoughts of, hey, you have this data, we have Mm -hmm. this problem, Can, can can we make something happen here? So it's, I will say that by and large, there is always kind of a light bulb moment when we're working with brands and talking with brands once they recognize the power of what we can do together. Because a lot of this is really breaking people out of almost the scarcity mindset around this work that this is so hard and this is so difficult and it's going to be so expensive and it's going to take so much time and it's going to be so onerous. That's been the status quo for a long time of trying to do this work. And so us coming in and saying, hey, we have this solution we built specifically for you, specifically to tackle this problem, specifically to be able to do it quicker, better, and easier. Um, in, in some ways, it's almost a too good to be true until they dive in and they see the data and they see, you know, how how you know, intensely we've we've taken this, how credible we are, and they're like, "Whoa, okay, all right, let's do this." Um, so I think that there's an education element on both sides of it, um, but I'm grateful that I will say overall we're moving quicker every single day um, than than you know maybe a, a few years ago. Series two of the Warrior Women podcast is made in partnership with Zinc VC. 
a London-based venture capital firm. Zinc are currently looking for 70 talented individuals to participate in a 12-month venture program aimed at transforming the sectors most impacting the environment. This is a real opportunity for impact-driven individuals to access expert support and up to £250,000 in financial backing to build a venture from scratch. And brilliantly, over 50% of founders on their last venture builder were women. Go to zinc.vc for more information on how to apply. I'm going to go a bit off prep, Julia, and ask you a question which I'm really, really curious about because I had a conversation with a major global brand and they shared this one problem with me. And I was thinking when they shared it, and you will be able to answer it, so don't worry, but you, um, they shared this problem. <laughs> I was like, this is probably on every single consumer goods table right now. And you know, there's probably no right or wrong answer to it, but I think you guys will have a really good reflection on it. So what she said was that, so as an organization, they're probably really well known for putting sustainability on the board agenda. But as we know, with the cost of living crisis, it's becoming increasingly hard for consumer brands to make that margin. And she was saying, you know, she's on the board and she's saying like, my biggest challenge is actually, how do we keep that momentum and caring about sustainability when actually we're struggling to keep that margin? So going back to those conversations that you're having with senior leaders, how would you kind of respond to that? And like, is your platform a solution to that? Because you were saying, and I, I get this all the time with my business partner, Tara, we kind of talk about how it's kind of conscious growth consultancy. So it's like, how do you grow in more conscious ways? If we want businesses to mm -hmm. invest in these solutions, they need to see growth. So that's kind of a growth challenge. Like, how would you respond? Like, what do you see this as, as a way of still helping organizations make money or is it just very much kind of in the, in the worthy space I suppose yeah it's such a good question yeah I'm happy to take it and um uh you know this is certainly um a tension that exists right the tension between you know investing in sustainability and also investing in accessibility and I think to date, um, those tensions have been very real when you think about sourcing challenges, right? Or packaging challenges. But here's what I'll say, Carla. At Planet Forward, we actually believe that investing in a climate action strategy is crucial um, for just the basic survival of any business, particularly any consumer brand. And we actually believe that we're helping our customers to future-proof their businesses future-proof their supply chains, future-proof they're able to connect with customers by investing in sustainability and climate change. Because here's what the data says, right? 55% of the growth in CPG or packaged goods over the last five years has come from sustainably marketed goods. So when a consumer company invests in sustainability or climate, they really are investing in a growing segment. Second, 90% of millennials, 90% of millennials in the United States have said that they're considering an environmental or social issue every time they make a purchasing decision. And so the brands that are very clear about their environmental strategy, their climate strategy, are the ones that are winning the millennial consumer. And we're seeing that in the data. Right, young people in particular are abandoning legacy brands in favor of the ones who are standing up for the planet. 
So any incremental investment that our customers make in becoming very clear and very accountable on their climate strategy really maps to growth. The other thing that we'll say, and I think Kylan can dig into this a bit as well, is we have to think not just in the short term, but also a bit in the medium and long term. Mm -hmm. Supply chain risk is certainly something that global packaged goods companies and global consumer companies have to focus on. And so if we don't decarbonize these supply chains, if we don't promote regenerative practices in these supply chains, then some ingredients and goods simply won't exist. Mm, and we already seen that happen. Chocolate, yeah. peanuts, right? These coffee, chocolate, peanuts, there's so many ingredients that are already really at that tipping point mm. because we need to invest more in making these supply chains more sustainable. I just feel like you delivered like the inauguration speech on like cost of living <laughs> and sustainability. I was like, yes. I mean, honestly, every time I do this podcast, I'm like, sorry, why aren't women running the world? Because <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> the answers are just like, you know. We're on our way. You're on our way. Well, we get it, you know, yeah, we've still got a long way to go. But I, it's, you know, what I'm hearing when I'm listening to you is this really um, needed balance of, somebody who kind of really understands the industry like you can speak SKUs like you know you can speak any language going because you've been in the food industry right and I know Kylan you you have been as well but then also kind of pulling organizations into that future through like you know hardcore facts case studies data and it's like you know I used to when I was younger think oh business isn't that creative but when you think of it like that it's kind of like you're just like pulling all of these pieces together so that you get that light bulb moment, right? Where someone in front of you is like, this is a, you know, this is de-risk, this is a no-brainer. So it was super cool to listen to you mm -hmm. respond to that. Thank you for sharing. And I'll um, pass that on to the person who asked the question and tell them to talk to you. Um, <laughs> Please do. <laughs> yeah. So this is more about, I suppose, like in the last kind of 20 minutes about, I mean, this is just what we were talking about, right? From my perception, I can see that's one of the reasons why you've had success is because you're completely, you know, from the kind of investable point of view, I can see that you are totally investable from a kind of on paper point of view and from the growth you're showing. But again, going back to you as individuals, because, hey, I'm sure there's loads of articles we can read about your pizza companies in your private equity. Um we find with warrior women, <laughs> you're laughing, but you know, I'm a certain type of po podcast host. It's very real. <laughs> but like the, um, we're loving it. We're good. Okay, cool. Um, there's something that I'm seeing, which I'm really curious about, which is that all the people that I interview, they, they go through something, which is almost like a gift, which kind of leads them to the work that they're doing. When you really think about beyond the kind of like facts and figures, why are you as black women kind of beating the odds, right? Like you're getting the investment. You might say, well, it's what you just said, you know, we're on the numbers and like we've got the industry experience, but like, is there anything else that you would say, maybe it's your personality, maybe it's your experiences, like why are you being successful? Like why are you continually being successful both of you it's not just like a one-hit wonder right it's almost like anything you're putting yourselves to so like whatever it is I'm just really curious about why do you think you're successful and you can you know you can say it's education you can say it's privilege you can say whatever it is what do you think is your inspiring kind of story that's made you able to be where you are today 
Yeah. Take a deep breath. It's a big oh. question. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get us warmed up, Kylan. I'll get us warmed up. Okay. Um, here's what I'll say. First of all, disclaimer, I've experienced a tremendous amount of privilege in my life, right? Mm-hmm. First and foremost, love privilege. I'm the, the product of a loving marriage between two human beings who are oh, still that. together after 51 years, I right? And grandparents who Amazing. picked me up from school and you know, so much love privilege, right? Educational privilege, went to Harvard, went to Stanford, like just disclaimer. The so both of I them, you went to you Harvard this. and Stanford. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not no, at the like, same time. I wouldn't put it past you, to be honest. I wouldn't put it past you, to be honest. But at the same time, you know, I remember sitting in business school class at Stanford and there were statistics about, some statistics about the average height, the average height of a CEO. And I don't know the number in meters, but they're saying the average height of a CEO is, you know, six feet, one and a half inches. Oh, this is an amazing data okay. point. On my, on, on my tallest day, I am five <laughs> foot four inches. Okay, I have a dimple. I, this is my actual speaking voice. I wear long braids. No one has ever looked at me and thought phenotypically that I meet the mold of what a CEO looks like. That has just never happened. And because of that, I've really learned what it is like to not be seen in my full power. And because of that, I have become, I think, almost like have a superpower around actually being able to see other people in their full power. And I believe that is why people come and want to work with me. And I believe that is why people like Kylan, who could do, frankly, I mean, Kylan could, let's just put her, Kylan could run for president right now. She can literally do anything. She's at Planet Forward working with me because I see her in her full power. And not only is she here, she's delivering her most beautiful elevated work. And that is true for every single one of the 26 people on our team. So there is something about when your lived experience causes for you to not be seen by what one would call the, the heteronormative patriarchy dominant society. It gives you a superpower, I think, around seeing others. And I think there are many other things, but that's what I would want to share with this audience. An amazing answer. And I feel like I have the opposite because I'm six foot and I felt like I, I had height <laughs> privilege of like walking into rooms, right? So I decided that like you just walk in mm. and people think you have something to say. I mean, it took me a while to like, you know, lean into it. And now every time I do a podcast launch, I wear like the brightest suit you can find because I'm like, I'm big. And I say like, I'm as big as a man. Like I give man hugs, like it's fine, you know. And um, but I, what I love about that, that story is again a common theme and i would encourage you to listen to our textile warrior um podcast which is run by an amazing organization a female founder and the woman that interviews head of strategy she talks very much about this kind of feminine principles around leadership of how everyone in the organization they're, they're quite large now feel very seen and in the work that tara and i do we do kind of culture mirrors where we go into organizations and we show them where the barriers and opportunities are one of the consistent themes that come back from people is like they're happier when they feel like they see who I really am and they're creating opportunities for me to self-actualize within this organization. So I think I think that's a superpower as well to be leading from this new place. And Kylin, what would be your mm. response to the question? I'm I'm going to give a circular answer. I'm going to start at the end and then and then come back to it. Sure. But 
I can only double down on what Julia shared about her and about her power. The After the first time we spoke, I specifically said, I don't know what it is, but I feel on fire after speaking with that woman. And I then told Julia when I ultimately decided to join her and, and, and join Planet Forward that I was making the decision because I was seeking the path that lit my full fire. And, uh, and, and that Amen. was something that, <laughs> you know, and that was her, that was her. So I'm going to come back around to that uh, because there's also s- some other specifics in it. But, you know, you asked around, you know, why are we consistently successful? And, and what about our personal stories or paths have created the conditions for that? And as, yes, I'm, I'm a black woman, um, but I also was, you know, grew up extremely low income and, and shared a little bit that I, I, I grew up homeless, um, which a lot of people don't make it out of. And every step of the way for me in life has been one of beating the odds and of perseverance in order to do so, whether that was making it out of, you know, the environments that I found myself in as a child, making it to college as a full scholarship Gates scholar, um, getting my first job in a white male dominated industry that I do nothing of, succeeding within those environments all of that was a function of being perseverant and and beating the odds that were that were stacked and so i had to figure it out every step of the way like there was no there was no path for me to follow there was no role model for me to see every step of the way i was figuring it out for myself and i one of my top traits or qualities as a person whenever i take those um you know like strength finder tests is self-assurance Um, you know, the ability to, to self-soothe and to self-motivate and to um, find confidence within within self. And so I think that that's really been been the reason why for me, because I've always, I've always had to figure it out. So the next challenge is, is just another opportunity to figure it out. Um, and I think that I also have been able to move through the world with a pretty deep sense of, of authenticity, which has allowed me to be seen by others. And when I met Julia, for example, I saw all of the things in her and in the way that she moved through the world that I wanted to continue to pursue. Julia shared she was the first black woman to ever co-found a unicorn. That is beating the damn odds. Okay. <laughs> That's smashing the odds. I... That's like looking at the odds and being like, no problem. <laughs> we had again, like a, a conversation as a community. And, and we were talking about this kind of 2%, you know, and of course it's less for, for women of color who get investment. And and actually the original trail of this podcast was saying, it basically goes on to say, we talk a lot about, you know, women can't balance, in, women can't get investment. Women can't balance motherhood work. Women fail to get on boards. And there's kind of this like narrative, which is true, but it's not the whole story. There's a kind of narrative mm. issue, which this podcast looks to address, which is like, you know, absolutely we need to acknowledge these things, but we also need to hear that these things are possible. It's a powerful thing when we say, policy, you know, laws can be changed and like organized. Like you were saying, I love that kind of, that optimism you were saying, which is like, we still need to be optimistic that change can happen. But, and we still need to have people who hold that, otherwise it never will happen. And I'm totally, you know, acknowledging that there's so many elements to this in terms of intersectionality, like you were saying, like 
everyone who's homeless isn't going to be, you know, going to a top university and getting a scholarship and everyone who's short isn't going to be a CEO. But, you know, we need to kind of hear those things. Sorry, that felt really aggressive when I said short. Like, I feel, I don't know why. I hate it when people talk, come in and, like, you're, after that amazing introduction, I was like, a short person. <laughs> like, I felt, like, really attacking for some reason. Um, anyway, uh, it's yeah. funny how we've gone through no, this whole story. It's, it's, and it's, not a, it's not a pejorative. <laughs> but you know what I just have to share this like with every relationship where you're able to find deep connection you can learn something and something that about Kylan like she she shared this but it's really worth double clicking on Kylan always will always bet on herself like she always knows that the surest bet is the bet on herself mm. I mean, she's lovely and you know just super easy to talk. She doesn't come across as, as, as off-putting in any way. And yet she is one of the most self-assured humans that I have really ever worked with. And it rubs off, mm. Carla. Like if you need just a little dose of like, you know, I can do this, just spend <laughs> 10 minutes with her. And so I, this is to your point, though. I think like when we lean into the places where we're strong and we've had success and we share those stories – it really does create ripple effects, particularly for the other women that we're shoulder to shoulder with. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And also like when we open up different networks, you know, so we make those, net, you know, when our network is like purposely diverse, that's why we introduce women who've been in prison or, you know, a whole range of people because, to be honest, like mentoring needs to evolve quite dramatically and like access to, the, to each other across different worlds and different lives stories is really important as we round up i've got kind of like one one question 10 years from now what has planet four changed and the second question is who do you know that you want to amplify through this podcast like which other women and self-identifying women and ideally kind of you know women who have got this intersection of background should we be following? Should I be interviewing? Should we be supporting? Which is in this decarbonization supply chain, consumer goods? And it might be you just call out, you know, specific people that you've met and you're like, that person just really amplified us. It could be anybody. It could be your mom or whoever. But um, what's so 10 years from now, clearly you're on a trajectory. And uh, like, I don't want to hear that masculine, oh, we raised 20 million. We raised this. Like, the money's coming. It's going to be fine. I can see that. But like, <laughs> that sounds like those gurus, like, money is coming. Um, but what what's that moment when you when you stop and you sit down and you're like it tipped over like it really tipped over to like okay we've I know you're changing things now and I respect that it's changed already but like this really changed what what would that what would that look like I'll start and then I want Julia to to send it home because this one is visionary (laughs) um but I think you know in 10 years one thing we say a lot, and this is this is stealing from uh, our friend uh, Donnell Baird from Block Power, but if we're successful, the world will not look the same. And I think that what that means for for us in in one version of it, there's a million versions of it. And I think that you know the the path will keep unfolding in front of us and become bigger and bigger as we go. But I expect to walk into every grocery store, every every mall on every Amazon site and and e-commerce platform and to see the carbon footprint of the products that I'm looking to purchase and to have an understanding of what that means, to know that the information that I'm seeing put forth by brands is 
credible and true and that they have put everything behind it to actually reduce the footprint of what they're creating uh, in a meaningful way. And what that would do is create, you know, a, an overall ecosystem where brands are working you know, against themselves to reduce their footprint, working to create conditions within the market that continues to, uh, you know, support the brands that are being most sustainable, that consumers can understand all of this and that they feel empowered to be climatarian eaters or climate friendly consumers, and that they have the visibility and the confidence in the information that they're presented with to be able to do that. And that Planet Forward will have been the, you know, catalyst and the infrastructure to make that happen. And um, yeah, I think I think that's 100% a piece of it. And then I think to answer the second part of your question around, you know, who would I want to amplify? There's a number of women, there's incredible women. Uh, if you read the book, All We Can Save by Dr. Ayanna Elizabeth this Johnson. This book gets mentioned about. so many times on this mm -hmm. podcast. I need to read mm -hmm. it. Yes, I 10 out of 10 recommend it, and specifically because it tells the stories of warrior women across the climate movement in the okay. most beautiful way. But someone who's been um, so inspiring to me and someone that I'm grateful to, to Julia for bringing into our world that I've gotten to spend a lot of time with since uh, is a woman named Dr. Kutcha Risling Baldi. And she's an indigenous mm. woman that uh, teaches at the uh, at a university in California. But she is incredible at communicating to people across lines and sharing indigenous wisdom in a way that is incredibly um that's just so real in terms of our connection to it in terms of who we are within that and in terms of the ability to truly imagine the world that we had pre-colonialism pre just genocide of so many wonderful wisdom-filled peoples that came before us and to recognize that we have all of the tools that we've always needed to be able to solve the issues that we have today if only we listen to the people that mm -hmm. you know have continued to steward and fight to keep those stories alive this whole time and so of, of, of the people I've met over the last few years she's been one of the most inspiring to me and I would 100% want to mm -hmm. amplify her and, and recommend her to you and to all. Thank you. Julia? I don't know what I could possibly add to that answer. There's a pretty strongly so articulated vision that, of the future. Yeah. yeah. You know, so in 10 years, total carbon transparency, every single thing on the planet, well, you will be clear about where it stands from a carbon standpoint. Fueling the next generation of climatarians, where being a climatarian is the most popular consumer trend that has ever existed. And Planet Forward being a catalyst for all of that. I wake up every day hoping to work myself out of a job. And I hope it doesn't even take 10 years, Carla. Mm -hmm. I hope we can get this thing done faster mm -hmm. than that. <laughs> In terms of women to amplify, definitely Dr. Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson, read All We Can Save. Definitely Dr. Kutcher Risling Baldi, read We Are Dancing For You. And then one more person who I really want to highlight is Sarah Menker. Um, founder and CEO of Grow Intelligence, one of the most intelligent people who I've ever had the pleasure of knowing, mm -hmm. also super kind. And her work is all about linking ecology to economy and developing agricultural, climate, and ecological strategies for some of the largest companies on the planet to wow. think about not only climate change mitigation, um, but also, obviously, emissions reduction. So Sarah Menker, for sure. She sounds like an amazing guest. I'll definitely look her up. Plus one. 
Well, thank you so much for what an inspiring conversation. Um, and I, hopefully it kind of gave you a moment to reflect on your working relationship and how far you've come as well in your own journeys. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for how inspiring you are. Thank you for making time today. And I look forward to getting to know each other throughout the years and crossing paths in whatever ways we do. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm Carla. You've been listening to Warrior Women, the podcast by the Warrior Women Network, brought to you by Zinc VC and produced by Birdline Media.